This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Confident in telling you that we are tagged out, because I just smoked that deer. Nice shot. It's been really tough hunting, to be honest with you. You're listening to the Scree Country Podcast. We are, uh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting really excited about my upcoming elk hunt. You and I, Mike, we've been working together and started off this podcast this year, but our history goes back a while since I've been doing work with Scree and we've been able to hunt together. And in all that, I've still remained out east. I haven't, I haven't come west. So, um, our, our, our guest on the podcast today is uh, Mr. Rusty Farnsworth. He is uh, an outfitter out in uh, northern Utah, and, and he is the outfitter that's going to take me on my first Western adventure. And so we're b- before we bring bring Rusty into the conversation, Mike, I know you have talked to me a whole lot about, about hunting out west, and you've came out east and hunted with me a little bit. Um, what do you think I should expect from a September elk hunt? Well, you should expect to see some dang spectacular country. Um, I've been in the country where you're you're going hunting. Uh, the the Uinta Mountains are as pretty and as spectacular as they come. And you know, here's the thing, man. I don't think it matters whether you you live in Louisiana or Pennsylvania or where you live. Uh, the the elk is is kind of the symbol, one of the symbols of the West. And I know every hunter. Even if you grow up with white toes like you did, you know every hunter, um, whether it's they admit it or not, uh, secretly wants to or envisions eventually going on coming out west and going on an elk hunt. Um, so you know, I I think there's a lot to look forward to, and again, spectacular country where you're going. It's it's big, rugged, dangerous country, and and you you know you need some good horse flesh to get back in there and access some of these far reaches and that's what makes it such an awesome experience and of course i think rest will attest to this but there's there's nothing like the sounds of 
uh, bugling elk and autumn leaves and, you know, crisp air. It's just a, just an overall awesome experience. Well, I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of things about hunting out West really, uh, you know, have been looking at that my whole life. Um, more more recently since podcasts have become so much more popular i have uh you know listened to a lot of conversations uh, about elk hunting specifically and uh i know there are some guys that are really serious elk hunters that don't like this analogy but coming from where i'm from and being such a big turkey hunter everybody wants to talk about like elk hunting is like turkey hunting on steroids it's all of the calling and the the chase the stalk and uh, the interacting with the animal, except it's a humongous animal with the trophy antlers that we all get excited about with big game, with all of the the tactic and calling and personal interaction with the animal that you get with turkey hunting. What what I've I've heard quite a few people on on podcasts talking about western hunting that that are big serious elk hunters. They don't really like that. I guess they 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 don't like an, a, an animal as magnificent and and captivating as an as a as a large elk bugling. Uh, to be compared against a little bird that's gobbling but what you've been turkey hunting with me and you've obviously elk hunted plenty in your life it, it, it is that analogy fair oh absolutely man i mean it's it's exhilarating to hear a, a big tom gobble um and in close range i mean you and i have been been in close proximity to some big old toms in the midwest and as a guy that lives and hunts out west i mean it it's exhilarating man to, ha- to have an animal um, like a turkey or an elk um, respond to a call or just, you know, just bugle or in the case of turkey gobble. I mean, it's exhilarating. I would say the difference is, is you know, about uh, um, about a thousand pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're these, these big elk and maybe, maybe they're not quite that big, but you know, I, the, the, the difference is, is I think an elk could, could come in at, at full tilt and steam early if he wanted to. Yeah. But um but it is, it's exhilarating. I think it's a, a, a very fair comparison, but you know, in, in the East, you guys have turkeys in the West, we obviously have, we have elk and, and there's, like I said, they're just amazing animals. And, uh, you know, the country that they live in is, is just big and it's rugged and these, these elk, in fact, I, I would argue that elk are one of the hardiest big game animals in the lower 48. They're just super hardy animals. And, it's just amazing the kind of winners that they can they can survive and they, they are it just I think it's just one of the many things that make them so spectacular and so fun to hunt. So Rusty's our guest, Rusty. I you've been listening to Mike and I talk. What is have you ever been turkey hunting? Oh yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of turkey hunting. So what is your opinion on on that? Because like I said, I've I've heard some guys on podcasts and stuff that are just like. Man, they're almost offended when when guys, especially guys from out east, try to compare the two hunts. Oh, I, you know, I would say I'd agree with you exactly. I mean, I don't get me wrong; I love the turkey hunt, but uh, there's just something about a bull coming in, just scream and let just make grown men melt. I mean, I've I've had guys that have you know hunted their whole lives, white tail, whatever, and killed lots of animals, and when they get their first bull into bow range screaming. They can't hardly keep their composure. I can, I can imagine. So, so what's your uh, give us? I guess just to start out our conversation, give us a um, give us a little background on yourself and and kind of how you grew up 
as far as the outdoors and getting into hunting and, and how long you've been outfitting and, and doing what you do now? So, uh, I grew up in a little town in northeastern uh, Utah called Mountain Home, and it's it's just a little tiny town that is, uh, you know, mostly made up of cattle ranchers and, uh, you know, oil field workers. Um, my dad was always a very avid uh, outdoorsman, so from the time I was just a little kid, uh, he was dragging me along with him uh, up here in the Uintas on you know, pack trips, fishing trips, and, and hunt. And so I, I've been hunting my dad ever since I was just uh, a little kid. Uh, my dad was also a taxidermist when I was a little kid. And uh, when I got done serving my mission for the LDS church, I, uh, I came home and I actually went to a taxidermy school. And when I'm not guiding, that's what I do full time is, is taxidermy and then help on the ranch. Uh, in, uh, oh shoot, it's been probably about 12 or 13 years ago, I started uh, guiding bear hunts and, and elk hunts for other outfitters. And then uh, it was about 2012, I believe, that I got my outfitting license and uh, and went out on my own and uh, started doing it myself. I, I still live just five minutes from where I, I grew up. Uh, I keep, you know, I, all my hunts are horseback hunts. Uh, main mule actually and you know i still keep half my mules at my dad's property and half at my place and and help him on the ranch and stuff and then you know my family they love to hunt so if uh, whenever they're able they they help me out on on uh, the hunts that i have going and try to get involved as much as possible but uh and mo- almost all my hunting is based just here out of northeastern utah so i find myself asking every taxidermist I meet this question. So I'm going to ask you, what's the, what's the craziest things that the craziest thing that you have mounted in your taxidermy career? Um, there's actually a, a gentleman from, uh, you know, about a little town, about a half hour from here. And he's a, he's a cattle rancher. And he had, he had bought a registered red Angus bull at a bull sale. And, uh, first day he turned him out with his cows, another bull, flipped him and broke his leg and so he he killed him and he asked me if he would mount the would mount the bull for him so I you know just ordered a form what I could make as close to you know the anatomy of a red angus as I could and I, I mounted his his uh, bull for him and he's got it hanging in his barn <laughs> well I, I, I've seen I've seen mounted bulls like as showpiece like in a you go to like a texas texas themed restaurant steakhouse and they'll have a big longhorn mounted up in there but i i I don't know i can imagine seeing one in someone's home but i guess if you're a big cattle rancher it makes sense i I don't know yeah yeah and it it actually turned out really nice i'll have to (laughs) after the podcast is over whatever i'll tag you on instagram or whatever so you can see it but it, it turned out to be a pretty cool little piece so when we I were like, I like some of the comical uh, mounts, I've seen some pretty doozies in my day. I saw, I think the best one I saw was at the the FBI show here just this year. There was, uh, there was a goat and they had him bucking and they had a saddle on him with a, I think it was like a bourbon monkey from Africa. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was 
there's some interesting stuff out there, but I'll tell you, there's some creative minds in the taxidermy business. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think on the creative ones, it's usually just a person sees something, they, they go to the taxidermist and say, hey, I got up this in my house. And I think some of your best ideas just come from guys wanting something like that, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, obviously, I'm going to go hunting with you in September. And, and when we were setting up, and talking about you uh, coming on the podcast, you were you were telling me how busy things got in August, and I would assume that's uh, a lot of you just kind of getting getting prepared and getting ready for the September seasons and going into the backcountry. You know, one of the things that I wanted to talk about a good bit on this podcast, and I think it's going to be very interesting for guys like myself. Obviously, Scree um, Scree has has reached uh, numerous different markets. Uh, to this point in time, and, and I think we're going to have a lot of listeners from out east that uh, I know everybody I talk to at home when I tell them about, uh, you know, how your hunt is arranged with with the, the mule team and the horseback and the base camp, and everybody's really interested. That that seems to be very much the adventurous way to, to experience the West. So I'm curious, and I, I want to hear uh, about, you know, how you do that and what somebody is to, to expect from that style of hunt? Well, so, so as I said, you know, they're all conducted by, by our mules and horses. And, uh, I have camps that are 10 miles in and I have camps that are 20 miles in. So you're looking at, you know, our, our shortest horse ride to one of our camps is about three hours in. And then, you know, I have some camps that you'll be eight or nine hours uh, on the horse to get there or wherever, honey. Um, and then we're going to be hunting anywhere from, you know, what we will drop down into some heavy dark timber anywhere from 10,500 feet. And there are spots where, you know, bulls will push their cows up into little bare pockets up on the mountain out of the timber where we could be hunting you as high as 12,000 feet. Um and so typically what the way it goes is when, when our hunters arrive, we have them base out of uh, a couple little towns close to the trailhead. And the next morning they'll, they'll meet us at the trailhead and we will uh, load their gear, you know, get everything laid out, load their gear, and, and we'll make the trek in that first day. Um, when, when we get in there, you know, a lot of times we have guys, they're just so gung-ho, they want to get out there that first night if there's time. But one thing we run into a lot in this country where it's such high altitude is uh, we'll, uh, they'll get symptoms of high altitude sickness. So they'll start getting headaches, they'll start getting dizzy, a lot of guys will start throwing up. And so to kind of mitigate that, what we'll do is we just make them sit in camp the first night just to, just to totally acclimate and, and try to get used to uh, that altitude. Um, one thing I've been encouraging guys to do, I actually have a couple guys working for me that get high altitude sickness bad, even though they're locals here. And they, they've actually got a prescription from their doctor that they take that helps them, lets them with that. Um, after that, so after that, that first initial day of travel in, we, we will do a, a five day hunt. And, uh, you know, if, if, if we can utilize the horses, we will utilize the horses as much as possible. Um, you know, sometimes if there's a meadow or something we're wanting to get to, you know, we'll have to ride for an hour in the dark to get there, you know, at prime time or back after, you know, it goes dark to get back to camp. Um, 
And then there are camps where literally when you step out of the tent, you get a couple hundred yards from camp. You can be, you can be hunting uh, bulls that way. Um, one thing I, I do notice is that by about the third day, uh, most of my clients and, and most of them are coming from, you know, back East, low elevation. You know, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with how much we're walking and the altitude, but usually that third day, what I see a lot is, is guys are, they're so whooped. A lot of times they just don't want to go out that day or, or they'll miss the morning hunt, sleep in, and then we'll go back out that evening. And that, that seems to happen quite a bit. Uh, and a lot of it I just have to do with how driven a guy to, to the bull. But then, you know, uh, we will hunt those five days and we, and we pound it pretty hard. I mean, we, we will hunt it as hard as you want. There's, you know, we have a lot of guys that who will hunt the morning hunt, and some guys just want to relax during the day or go fishing. There's awesome fishing in this country, and, you know, if, if it's really hot, uh, a lot of times that's what we'll do is we'll go back to camp and uh, let the guys fish or whatever, and, and that way if, if the elk aren't talking super good or whatever, that way we're not just blowing basins out. Now, if, if it's active and stuff, like we're, we're hunting all day long. And then, uh, obviously we'll, you know, hit the evenings hard too. On, on that seventh day, you know, it's a, it's a full day out of there. So we, we get up, give them breakfast, pack their gear and, and head out and, uh, and, and, you know, so they can get home, good time, whatever. But, uh, is there anything on that you want me to expand on locker? No, no, that, that's, that's a good basic rundown of, of, of that style of hunt. And I, I, I'm curious your opinion um, just in, in my, my time of, of researching and, uh, kind of learning about more backcountry style hunting, you, you see, and you hear a lot of opinions from a lot yeah. of people about different ways to prepare in your experience. What's the best way for someone who's not used to hunting that way? What, what is the best kind of best practices for, uh, for preparation, physical preparation? Well, I mean, you know, I, I have had guys come in that are just insanely fit. Uh, but uh, honestly, I don't know that there's really any good way to prepare for the high elevation unless you're just there. Um, I mean, obviously, the more fit you are, you're going to have a he- uh, way better odds at, at getting a bull than somebody that's not fit. Because it, it, it's just going to be a butt kicker for whoever you are. Um you know, one thing I would say is I, I see a lot of guys that just want to just hit the weights and just bulk up and just get just get ripped. But, man, I'll tell you, when I have those guys show up in camp, those guys are the ones that struggle because they got to pack all that muscle up the mountain and got to keep, you know, the oxygen there. The guys that do, do the best are just the guys that probably honestly do more type car- cardio type stuff to where, you know, they're just walking a lot because that's – that's probably the biggest thing we're going to be doing is we're going to, you know, if we're not utilizing the horses and even if we are, we're going to be walking 10 to 15 miles a day around these basins back and forth, you know, and, and I just, man, I would just pack on and just do wall walking is what I would do. And I, I mean, there are some fitness programs out there that I see, you know, like the mountain tough fitness and stuff. I mean, I'm, I, I don't do that, but I'm sure that is, that is good and that would definitely help you but definitely do something because you, you don't want to just sit on the couch and show up here it'll just kill you yeah. mike mike i know um 
I know that that you've done a lot of backcountry hunting yourself, and what are what are your opinions on that? Well, I mean, Rusty nailed it, man. I mean, I I concur with him a hundred percent. I've I've done multiple hunts in Colorado at higher elevation. These are mule deer hunts, but there was here here's the real deal. There was no horses involved, um, and man, I'm telling you, it does. Like Rusty said, it that elevation can kick your butt. And honestly, I would rather, I think Rusty would probably agree with this, but I'd rather see a guy roll into camp that's maybe even a little overweight, that's mentally really, really tough. I've got some friends like that. I mean, I've got guys that you look at them and go, there's no way that guy's going to, you know, survive a day in the high country. And they just, they're just mentally tough. Um, you know, you just can't have any quit. You got to, you got to push yourself for the guy. You know what, you, you can think about all that. You have plenty of time after the hunt to think about all the pain and the anguish, but, you know, you got to show up and you got to be mentally tough. You got to be mentally committed to, to, to stick it out. And, and I agree. I'm not, I'm also not one of these guys that hits the gym. I have some trails here at home that I, you know, that, that, that got some elevation and I climb hills. I've actually, I've got an Atlas train from outdoors, and I'll give a little shout out to them. I mean, you could have dumbbell weights at the pack, and I just climb mountains with that, man, and I think there's no better way to get ready than to, to climb elevations. That's a little tough for a, for a flatlander, a guy that lives in Louisiana or Pennsylvania, but um, I, I think there's some value in just getting out and walking with a pack on because it is it, it's a it's it's a physical game but i found if you're mentally committed and you're mentally tough and i i have man i've grinded out some absolute brutal hunts and i can tell you hunting above timberline whether it's elk or mule deer i don't think there's a harder hunt and, and that's coming from a guy that's hunted look i've hunted doll sheep in alaska the mountains are just as steep in alaska as the rocky mountain west here's the difference Instead of 7,000 feet, you're at 11, 12, and 13,000 feet. So, um, yeah, I just would concur with everything Rusty said is show up, be in the best possible shape. Don't feel like you got to hit the gym or get on any crazy regiments, but you got to be able to pack weight. You got to be able to walk and just mentally push through the rough times because there can be some of those. So, staying on the, um, just, Rusty, I, I want to make sure to give you a chance to, to talk about the, uh, you know, some of the other stuff you do. But I'm being a little bit selfish in 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 learning in learning while we while we talk. But um, just talking specifically about this, I've heard a lot of of different things about what to expect from weather. What is you know in in the in the country that you that you're in? What what are you expecting? in you know mid to late september i mean what are we what are we looking at weather wise you know it it uh it can vary a lot in that country i mean i i've seen it 80 degrees up there midday and then i've been in a blizzard an hour later uh and that's just mountain hunting you know that that can happen in any big mountain range but typically uh, that time of year you know, it'll, it'll get pretty cool at night. In fact, a lot of nights it'll dip right at about freezing. You know, a lot of times when we wake up, be just thin layer of ice and the crisps are a good frost. And then, you know, if the weather's good, uh, it should be upper 60s, 
you know, possibly 70 degrees during the day. And, and, and on the earlier hunts, like I run one hunt from the first week of September, second week and third week. And that first week, sometimes it, it, it will get into the eighties. And, and obviously we, we don't, we, we hope it doesn't do that because them elk just are in that thick timber and not moving. You know? But uh, that, that's kind of what I would expect. I mean, you, you want to definitely, uh, I mean, obviously uh, we got, we're, we're on here with Stree and it's kind of funny that you guys asked me to be on that. That's all I wear is Stree camo. And so I, uh, I layer up, you'll, you'll want to layer up because in the mornings you're going to be, it's going to be brisk and cold. And then as you start hiking, you know, you'll, you'll want to layer down a little bit. And then by midday, you know, you're, you're, you're down as far as you can on layers and coming, you're going to layer up and then you're going to have that gear with you all day. Cause it's one of those that, you know, thunderstorms rolls in in the afternoon or a snowstorm rolls in, uh, you're, you're going to want to have that gear so you can get warm. Uh, and there is a possibility in this country. I mean, you just never know, especially that last week of September, it could really come in and dump some snow. Uh, the last, you know, for a number of years now, it hasn't those first three weeks of September, but it, but it's always a potential. And, and the afternoon rainstorms, it's pretty common in that country. So you want to have some good rain gear with you as well. So in my experience, uh, you know, and, and my experience, my hunting experience now, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy who grew up in the South and I've whitetail hunted, you know, in a lot of places, not not necessarily out west, in, in further than Nebraska, Oklahoma, but um, weather. Uh, speaking specifically about an elk hunt, you know, a, a, a September rut hunt for elk. Um, weather is a huge, huge game changer for whitetail hunters. We're looking for weather pattern changes, and if you're a good hunter, you learn that it's not always the most commonly thought of any weather change can actually be a huge, huge factor. So uh, you just referenced it, and I've often heard about how um, how quickly and, and, and commonly the weather can change in the mountains. How does that affect uh, the, the hunting strategies and, and the elk movement and, and, and what they're doing on this kind of hunt when you get that fast, quick weather change? Um, well, you know, obviously if you have a, you know, uh, let's say for example, you have a, a snowstorm roll in at like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. This, and this happened to us in, uh, 2020, I, I was a hunter by the name of Kelly Passy and, and, uh, we had an afternoon, uh, blizzard roll in and it lasted all an hour or two and just put down a pretty good skip of snow and, and man, those elk were out of the timber and active and all over. Um, you know, the, the bad weather, it, it does suck to be in, but man, when it happens, I, I love it as a guy, because usually that's when you get, you know, the majority of the action. And on the flip side, if it's really hot, you know, elk just, elk just shut down when it's super hot. They just want to go in that heavy timber and just lay down all day. And so I, if it can be cool with a little bit of wet, man, I'll take it all day, even though it's kind of uncomfortable because it just makes the hunting that much better. And and so if, you know, even if it is bad weather and, and you know, Mike kind of spoke to it, you know, mental toughness is, is probably one of the biggest things when it comes to mounting, mountain hunting if you want to be successful is you just got to push through when it's uncomfortable. Because if it's bad weather – uh, we're we're going to be pushing it unless unless you absolutely don't want to. We're going to be out there trying to hunt them, and then 
you know, if it, if it is super hot, uh, you know, we'll, we'll hunt it to a point, but sometimes it just becomes so difficult. You're, you're basically, if they're not talking, you're just trying to sneak through the timber and unless you have a, just a really good game plan or already have your eyes on one bedded, you know, you, you just risk blowing. You can, I mean, you can blow elk out of an area if you're not careful. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty careful on, on how we hunt on really hot days. Usually we'll let it cool down a little bit before we really get after it, you know. Yeah. That, that sounds a, a lot like my, my, my very general, um, just kind of general approach to whitetail hunting. It, you know, obviously the difference is I'm entering an area and I'm staying in one place, but my scent is still everywhere and it's there with me the whole time. And, you know, you hear in the whitetail world, you hear commonly, you know, you can't kill them on the couch. You can't kill them at the camp, stuff like that. But at the same time, if you blow the deer out of your area and you mess up all the scouting and planning that you've done, and then you go back into those areas and hunt them later after you've blown them up and and most of the time with whitetail you don't even know it you've sat there and stunk the whole place up and you don't even know it and then all of a sudden all that preparation you you put in the rest of the season it doesn't pay off because you've you've messed your hunt up and i don't know if either one of you have ever heard this but i've i've always heard and i don't know if elk are the same as as other deer or or what but like i've always heard that whitetail deer actually can't sweat they don't have the same um the same anatomy in that regard as as other animals and like us as humans where we sweat and that helps our body cool down they can't do that and and that's one of the reasons i've always been told that heat is such a problem for deer um do you know if that's the have you ever heard of that with elk either of you well i i never have and it's funny you bring that up because i can say i never saw one sweating either and uh, i mean i I believe it. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, I believe wholeheartedly. And it's, I think it's the same with mule deer. I mean, the bottom line, I mean, I've hunted, I've hunted third season in Colorado and like just hot and dry and dusty. And I mean, you glass all day long and you just, you, you just got to believe there's deer there and you can't turn up a deer to save your life or a, you know, a decent buck to save your life. And then I have, I have seen overnight where it'll come in and pop, you know, 12, 11, 13 inches of snow. It's like somebody just turns on a light switch and there's deer and elk everywhere. It's just, it's just crazy. And so, no, I, I believe that. I mean, these deer, I think they're, I think they're a lot like us. And I mean, even though we obviously can sweat, that doesn't mean we want to just go bake out in the open sun. I mean, we're, we're no different now. We want to, lay up in the shade until it gets cool and and once it's cool then we become more active so i i I can't you know i'm not a biologist i can't say i know that for sure but i can tell you it it makes weather absolutely makes all the difference when it comes to hunting and mule deer hunting here in the west well you know speaking of that rusty i know you do more than just elk hunting um i just kind of looking around on your instagram page and and i see lots of different things what 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 all do you have your hands in in terms of of not only what you do personally but what kind of outfitting other kind of outfitting do you do so uh probably the thing that i'm i'm best known for is uh mountain goat hunt 
across uh, the Uinta Mountains. The, the, the units that I guide in would be the High Uinta's Central, the High Uinta's West, the High Uinta's East. Basically, any high unit, unit uh, I do a lot of mountain hunt for, uh, for, and you can see you can see a lot of those pictures on my Instagram. I'm sure you're probably looking at some of those now, but um, that that's one thing. As soon as my archery elk hunts are over, uh, the first three weeks of September, that's what I'm doing is my archery elk hunt, and then usually from there I'll go right into my mountain goat hunts and have a you know two or three weeks of those, and then uh, I also uh, for years and years. Before I really started pushing these wilderness archery hunts more, I guided in the Little Creek Roadless area, the Book Cliff, uh, via horseback, and uh, you know that's a trophy bull unit in Utah. They, they've cut the tags there so much that uh, that's kind of the reason I started pushing these uh, high unit elk hunts more, and and found that you know there's there's uh, just a huge market for it because. There's a lot of guys like yourself from back east that want that wilderness experience. And, and the great thing about it is these tags, they're guaranteed. The archery tags in Utah are unlimited. And so, like, lock yourself, if you have a good time, you could come and hunt with me every single year and be guaranteed a tag. Um, I also will do uh, some buffalo hunts in the roadless. I have a, a buffalo hunt this year that I'll be doing right after my hunt. And as far as some stuff goes, uh, there, this, this mountain range has some incredible, you know, fishing opportunities. So I'll, you know, pack groups of fishermen in, um, the highest, the highest peak in Utah is in this mountain range. It's called King's Peak. And, uh, I can do pack support for people, uh, doing that as well. And, uh, in fact, uh, just on Monday, I had probably one of the oddest trips I've ever had. I I rode a, a guy and girl up on a mountaintop where you could basically see just miles and miles of mountaintops and drainages and had the video in why he proposed to her on a mountaintop. So that was one of the oddest things I've done as an outfitter. <laughs> well, that I was actually uh, at, at some point and uh, in this podcast, I was going to kind of put you on the spot and get it, get you to tell us a story of, of one of your strangest adventures, but you you kind of buried the lead on that one <laughs> on me a little bit that, that's well that. i was gonna say Rusty. you know i i my grandfather um who grew up in in north you know he he lived in northern utah most of his life pretty much all his life but i i remember as a kid going um in fact i believe mountain home where you're from that that's more on the north slope correct no, it, it it is on the on the south slope. Uh, if you if you look at they're probably in like a mountain view. That um, thinking, yeah, okay, mountain view. Because I you know, I remember as a kid, um, my grandpa taking us on fishing trips up to the Uintas and been up there several times. And you know, I he he hunted elk back in the back in the 1950s, 1960s when you had to draw a tag on the UNA mountains and oh, okay. him and a buddy were back in there killing elk when elk I mean, was super popular. I mean, it, it obviously was with, I think more of the locals and, and whatnot, but uh, yeah, lots of fond memories hearing those stories of him, you know, hunting, hunting elk. He was more on the North slope, but uh, what, uh, talk to me. I mean, this is an open area. So talk to us about quality. I mean, 
obviously, you know, this, this isn't a considered a trophy unit, but what, what can hunters expect in terms of uh, size of the bulls? I mean, you guys occasionally take a big bull off there. Talk to us about that. So I, I would say the average uh, bull that, that you're hunting in this unit is from a raghorn up to like a 290 type bull. You know, raghorns and five points, they're a dime a dozen in this unit. That's, that's typically uh, what you'll be seeing. But with that being said, I mean, it is a wilderness area. And there's, there's some spots that just because of the ruggedness of it and the amount of work to get back there, you know, they're just not getting hunted that hard. So if you, I mean, if you can luck into one, I mean, there, there's 300 to 340 type bulls killed on this mountain range every year. You know, if you, if you kill a 300, 320 type bull, it, it's getting talked about just because there's not a ton of them, but there, there definitely is potential for bigger, for sure. Yeah. My, 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 my dad, you know, it's been a number of years ago. He actually killed a 370 bull up here on this unit. So. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a spectacular animal for for any unit, even the limited entry unit. So, I think that's that's pretty awesome, and I think for guys that are coming out. Um, west elk hunting for the first time. I mean, I think you know, I think any any kind of a six point bull is considered a, a trophy. Um, but really, I mean, just just any kind of raghorn bull at all for for most is considered a trophy by, by any stretch. You know, one thing, I, and I when people ask me how hard it is, I mean, I mean, you know, bow hunting elk in and of itself is just extremely difficult. Let alone in the high, you know, high alpine basins at high elevation. But one thing that I think is funny, and I especially see it with a lot of my mountain goat hunters, is, is when they're preparing for the hunt and they're calling me, they're always talking about how they want to look over the whole drainage and look at every billy and shoot the biggest one that they find. And I can tell you, and it's the same, I would say it's the same with almost all my bow hunters, is that when you finally get them within range of the first animal, dude, that size goes out the window. They're killing that fetcher because they've just worked their butts off to, to, get, to get a chance, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that kind of speaks to how difficult it is. But, uh, no, if, if, you, if, uh, if you can get a bull in this country, uh, it don't matter the size, man. It's a trophy. Yeah. I, I, I find I, I've done a, a lot of – a lot of group hunts in the Midwest and, you know, the, for whitetail during the rut. And, 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 and that's kind of the become the hallmark in our industry of, of hunting big whitetails is going to the Midwest for the November rut, you know, and, 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 and in today's society, uh, you know, we hear it with, with elk and, and we pretty much hear it with everything. Everybody is judging everything on, on score. You know, is it a 150 buck? Is it a 350 bull? and uh and and everything but when i i think you know what i've learned about about your hunt that that i'm gonna that i'm gonna go on and and what i see as well is where i'm i'm kind of paralleling with the the whitetail november rut you you get guys and they hunt at home a lot they hunt on their own a lot and maybe they've killed a few decent animals and you know i'm going and i'm, I'm holding out i'm gonna shoot a 150 you know, speaking about right tails. Well, you know, you don't really realize exactly. There's not a lot of difference in the moment between a 135 and a 150. 
You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of antler growth to make up those 15 inches of, of score in, in the way that you measure the antler. So you've got someone who goes up and sits, and they, they, they make these all-day sits on the edge of a cut cornfield with the wind blowing, and, and, and on the third day, finally, that 130-something, just, you know, as big an eight-point as they've ever really seen, is standing there trying to tend a doe at 15 yards, and that 150 thing goes out the window. And that deer gets shot, and you and and it's a trophy. It's a mature animal, and it's a trophy. And I I, I think that's probably kind of what I'm hearing from you is, you 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 bust your butt to get back in there in in that country, and you know you're 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 sleeping in base camp and you're hiking every day, and you finally get a bull, and he gives in, gets in there and gives you that whole experience, and you know, maybe, maybe the standards change a little bit at that moment. Oh yeah, absolutely. A lot of times those go out the window and you know, one thing, and it just drives me crazy. I see, you know, I see it a lot guiding and I, I've even seen it in myself and I'm trying to reel it in, but it, I hate seeing it now where trophy hunting is such a big thing that, you know, you can have an amazing hunt, amazing experience. And when you get up to your animal, if it's, you know, 10 inches less than you want it to be, you know, that totally ruins the hunt for some guys. And I, I, I mean, that's, that's one thing I hate about trophy hunting is that, you know, you, anymore, you know, a guy's just got to take in the experience more than anything. I mean, the, the experience is where it's all at anyways. And if you, if you get a grand man, that's the carry on off, you know, but uh, you got to have an enjoyable time and don't let the fact that maybe you didn't kill one as big as you would like to have ruined your hunt. And, and most guys, and I think a lot of that, has to do too with how hard you've worked for it you know i would say most of my backcountry hunts that are extremely difficult they're just tickled pink tick when they get one because they have worked their butt off for it you know and, and maybe people who don't work quite as hard uh you know that that trophy thing comes into play a little bit more but yeah well i'm i'm glad you brought that up rusty i mean i i, I think honestly i mean you, you know 25 30 years ago there was nobody talked about score i mean at least here in the west you know i think it's kind of cool in some respects score is kind of cool but you know i i've seen time time again i mean recently had a, a buddy who had shot an incredible mule deer with his bow i mean this deer was huge it really was it wasn't you know it didn't have the most typical mule deer frame on it there was a few things that in terms of score probably heard it but this, this was a big big deer and man he he was stoked when we shot it he was stoked when we we hauled it you know down to the taxidermist but man after after them for that and giving him the finality man he just dropped his head like in shame and i'm like bro that that's a that's an incredible animal man don't you were excited when you when you saw it. You were excited when you shot it. You were excited when you brought it to the the taxidermist man. Don't let um, score ruin the, the entire experience. And I think as you get older, I know for me, like the, the experience is. I mean, I know that sounds cheesy, but I'm just gonna say it. I mean, that the experience is the trophy. And you know, I will I will say this for anybody that's listening. That, that lives back east or, or maybe even in the west that dreamed of going on a on an elk hunt or has dreamed about a true western hunting adventure. I'm telling you, man, Locke, you 
um, you're in for a real treat because a lot of elk hunting out of, you know, vehicle camp. And this is a true wilderness experience and it, it just doesn't get any better than this. I mean, you're, you're going to, you're going to visit areas remote, remote, rugged areas that frankly, very few hunters will ever get to experience in their life. So for that reason, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked for you. Yeah. It's going to be an awesome adventure. I like, I like what you said, Mike, because I, I find when you said, you know, as you get older and you hunt more, it becomes so much more about the experiences and that that rings really true to me because i i've gotten to that point and and i'll tell anybody i to this day when i hunt uh every season i i have yeah i've been fortunate and and killed some really nice bucks and i've had hunts where i held out and shot the bigger buck or or went home empty empty handed because i was holding out but but nowadays i've come to a realization that I say it's not really a realization I've just you know my my desires as a hunter have changed and you know speaking about whitetail and I'm gonna and I'm gonna compare this against the western hunt too I you know when I go out whitetail hunting my objective is to is to match and I only hunt with a bow I don't hunt with a rifle anymore um hunting out out in the east and in the south we have so much more opportunity where I don't have to hunt with a rifle. I have so many days of opportunity with a bow, I can kind of pick and choose my weapons, whereas you guys have more limited tags, and if you want to hunt more seasons, you kind of have to go for the firearm tag. I don't have that. So my my goal is to match wits with a mature animal and get that animal in bow range and be able to take him. And, and, and if I'm hunting in an area where a mature animal is growing 130 inches of horns, he is the same adversary in terms of the hunt and the experience as maybe in another place where they are are growing bigger or it may not even be that it may just be that this buck that's what size he is i mean it's just like humans some of us are tall some are skinny some are fat some are short and and you know but he's still a mature buck and he's still a worthy adversary for you to get in bow range and i've i've had opportunities um, to go out west and do different hunts, and uh, I have been kind of waiting and buying my time a little bit because this is the kind of hunt I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to do something that was more, uh, it, you know, the the wilderness experience and that kind of thing. And I, I am definitely, I can see everything you guys are talking about, and and I, I'm, I'm excited about that. I think that, um, yeah, we all. You know, I think you get two ends of the spectrum um, with, with hunters. In, in every every kind of game that we're talking about, you, you have the trophy hunter that um, is, you know, dead set on the score and the size of the animal and the, the, the measure of the trophy. And and then you have the, the, the guy on the other end that tries to claim that they don't care anything about that. They just want the, you know, they just want to eat the meat. They just, you know, whatever. You can't eat the horns and all those kind of things. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. All of us at some point learn to be hunters and learn to be outdoorsmen and go out in the woods. And, and at some point in that process, every one of us dreamed of killing the big buck or catching the biggest fish or, or whatever. So there's always a hope that there's, that trophy animal of a lifetime around the next corner, around the, you know, behind the next tree or whatever. But 
there's a happy ground in between that'll make you a much happier, more fulfilled hunter. And that's to what you said, Mike, when you learn to just really take in the experiences and make those experiences be your trophies. You know, I think that's a, that's a big thing. And I, I think it's bigger for you guys out West because you guys have so much, you have more limited options in terms of seasons and tags in a lot of cases. And you have, um, you know, more adventurous hunts. So you guys learn that experience, uh, the value of that experience. I think a lot quicker than a lot of guys out East do because whitetail hunting can get a little bit monotonous. We go to camp and we jump on the four wheeler or we, we walk into the same tree stands and we sit there every weekend during deer season. And it gets a little bit monotonous. You know, we don't get that adventure that you guys get on these hunts like, like Rusty does. Well, and I think the key too is that you have realistic expectations and, you know, and I, I, I love what Rusty said. I mean, he obviously gives his, his guys realist, realistic expectations. So they, they know, man, when the, the moment of truth arrives, they've already made their decision. You know, I, I, I think by and large outfitters are really good at that. I've had a few that maybe, um, their, their, their idea of the score was a little, little skewed that I think, you know, I, one thing I wanted to ask Rusty, and I know we're kind of getting to the end of our time here, but, uh, you know, what, what advice do you have for hunters? I know one that I've heard from a lot of outfitters and I'll just, I'll, I'll say it because it sounds better coming from me, but I, I think it's true is don't, don't guide the guide. I think there's a lot of hunters that get there and they've never been there and they don't know the animal movements and they don't know anything about the area and they're, they're, they're kind of hell bent on making the decision. So I, I think that's one advice I, I would give as a hunter is these guys are knowledgeable. Um, they've, they've grown up in the areas, they've hunted the areas, they've outfitted in the areas, like let's let them do their job and, uh, and, and they'll be in good hands. Any advice you could give to, um, to hunters thinking about coming to work? Oh, absolutely. I think you hit it on the head is definitely have, have some faith in your guide. We, we, I, I personally wouldn't have them guiding you unless I, I didn't think they knew what they were doing or would do you a good job. Um, I guess a, a perfect story that I could throw in on that, Mike, is I, I was guiding a guy last year and we had been, we'd been seeing elk every day at the head of this basin. And he had, he'd had numerous opportunities, whatever. And one day I told him I wanted to switch up where we were going to. And I, you know, I, I told him about another meadow that was really good and we had to hit it. And, uh, he, he just kept fighting me on it. He didn't want to go there. And finally I talked him into it and we, we hunted throughout the day and we didn't, you know, see a whole lot. And as we were coming back, he just, he was totally convinced there was no elk in that part of the basin. And he basically had gave up hunting and he looked at me and said, Hey, I'm done. I just want to get back to camp. I'm done hunting. He was kind of mad. And it wasn't 10 seconds after that, we walked right into a big bull right in the edge of the meadow. And, and we were on him already, you know, and I, I mean, I should have known better. I should have tried to keep him on his toes, but I mean, I wouldn't have took him there if I didn't know there was a potential to get him on a bull there, you know, and, and that, that's going to be the same with my guides. And, and I think most guides is we're not going to take you somewhere. I mean, it's already a ton of work and we're not going to work hard if we don't think there's a possibility to get you an animal somewhere. So definitely listen to your guide, but also on the same on the same note, you know, there are a lot of guys that 
really accomplished hunts and uh we're, we'll do anything to get you a bull i mean we will try anything and if if uh if you do have a suggestion we're we're more than open to hear it if you have an idea or something like you would like to try if something else isn't working we'll we'll definitely try that but we're we'll do anything and to give you the best odds we can and uh and so just listen to your guide and if you do have a suggestion throw it out and we'll try it you know yeah. Well, I, I think it's important to realize too that, like, you know, I've never met an outfitter or a guide that doesn't want their hunters to be successful, and they'll they'll go to great lengths. Um, you know, I'm, there's always exceptions to the rule, but but I think by and large, at least the outfitters that I've hunted with, I mean, they want you to be successful, and they're they're going to go to great lengths um, to make sure that that happens, and and um, I think it's it's obviously no different with you, Rusty. But but yeah, I think the key is is just trust trust your guy. These guys have a lot invested in your success. Yeah, I I I find myself in a similar conversation because I I hunt with a lot of outfitters. Um, I I have I have not been an outfitter per se, but I have guided for outfitters and uh, been around that world a lot. And you know, this is kind of more of a a human type of statement just about our general nature but people that that walk around life always looking for somebody to be taking advantage of them or screwing them over in some way you're missing out on a lot of peace and happiness and and things like that i mean you obviously have to do your job up front to know what you're walking into with anything in life and that includes when you're choosing an outfitter you want to do your homework and make sure that, you know, there's some some reputable reference there and all that kind of stuff. But then just try to sit back and enjoy it. You know, let the guy do their job. There's no value, really, when it comes down to it. And, and Rusty, I, I think you'll probably agree, there's not a lot of value to you um, having someone not be successful. I mean, obviously, there's things out of your control, and not everyone kills something all the time. But there's not a lot of value in in somebody being empty-handed and unhappy so I don't, I don't think that that living your life in in that way and trying to just look out for somebody to take advantage of you all the time is really a great way to be so uh, yeah and, and you know you know for the most part i would say that the majority of the guys we guide aren't that way uh, i mean i have been around uh, i have been around a handful but you know what another thing you got to realize too is that your guide is human and there there's times but even us that are experienced guides, we, we may mistake and maybe blow opportunities because we play a scenario wrong. But, you know, that's just hunting. You, you're you're going to make mistakes, you and your guide. And, but you just, you just work together and push through and just keep hunting. And, and you'll, get, you'll get opportunities. But, uh, you, get, you know, when you have the mistakes, you just got to keep pushing because there's, there's bound to be plenty of mistakes on a hunt. Yeah. Well, Rusty, we, we're – we're really excited um, not only to have you, you know, so, you know, wearing scree and, and being what we call a scree outfitter, but I'm excited to, to get to spend camp with you and, and get to hunt with you, and we thank you a whole lot for, for taking your time to come on here and talk to us a little bit about your uh, your hunts and what you do. Uh, as, as we wrap up here, just take a second and tell people where to find out about you and, and what you offer. So if uh... – for, for those listeners who have Instagram accounts, you can find me uh, at 
our Aussie friends were spitting Instagram. Uh, I, you know, I post a little bit of everything on there, mainly just my taxidermy and my, you know, my pack trips and my hunting is, is what I do on that. But I, I offer fishing trips, you know, packing, just slash camp trips. If you don't want to fish up there, uh, I can offer you access to King's Peak if you want to climb that mountain. And then, you know, the majority of what I offer is mountain goat hunts and archery elk hunts here in uh, northeastern Utah. So if there's something like that I could help you out with, feel free to give me a call and uh, I'll help you out any way I can. And, and aside from that, I'm an avid, avid hunter myself. And so I know a lot about hunting in, in Utah and I could help you out any way. I, you know, if you have a question on anything, I, I would know something about it. I probably know somebody who would. And I love to talk hunting. So cool. reach out if, if you want to know more. Well, thank you again for, for taking the time to join and, and have a conversation with us on the podcast. Mike, you got anything else before we wrap up? No, it's been it's been an honor, Rusty. Look forward to, to, to meeting you and, and perhaps maybe even doing an elk hunt of my own. I'm, I'm uh, kind of a big mule deer hunter, but I love elk, and I've, I've been on a few cool elk hunts and, and want to go on more. So just appreciate all your knowledge and your, your willingness to uh, visit with us today. It's been, it's been fun. Yeah, thank you. And and Locke, I gotta ask, has Brian been talking up the hunt to you a little bit, or what has he been saying? Yeah, I, we 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 have uh, random spurts of conversation and text messages, and and he said nothing but but uh, good things and shared a lot of of uh, pictures and stories about his hunt last year. So uh, I I know I've got a lot to look forward to. I'm I'm starting to fill out my gear list and and get everything ready and so I'm starting to watch the calendar and count down the days all right man well we look forward to having you all right guys thank you so much for tuning in you are listening to the scree country podcast